Hey friends, welcome. How are you? Me, I'm pretty damn good. Between recording this episode and this intro, uh, we received the news that Melbourne's lockdown restrictions are just about to be lifted at the start of or early November. And I am pretty chuffed about that. That was a long one. I think these this round of lockdown started early July. I think we're in a stage three, then the masks came mandatory, then the stage four came in, and I don't know what happened in all that time, but it's like over three months later, and we're only just starting to come back to normality. So massive congratulations to everyone, I, I reckon. A big pat on the back for, I don't know, just getting through it. It was... um. It was up and down. It was up and down. It was really good, and then it wasn't, and then it was fine, and then it wasn't, and then it was blah. But um, but you all know that. Anyway, um, good stuff. Great news. Today I am joined by one of Australia's leading contemporary painters, Sam Leach. Uh, I've been a big fan of Sam's work for years, and his recent exhibition titled Fully Automatic which just showed at Sullivan and Strumpf in Sydney, I think is his best work yet. If for some reason you are unfamiliar with his work, stop what you're doing right now, give his name a quick Google or jump on his Instagram and um, just familiarise yourself with his work. It's great. He's also the winner of the Win and the Archibald Prize in 2010 and co-creator of the Not Fair Alternative Art Fair in Melbourne. Um, I'll just get straight to it. It was a great chat. I really enjoyed chatting with him. Ladies and gentlemen, Sam Leach. Is there a point to all this? I think we're getting in too deep. You don't apply. Bad luck. Oh, I have one speed. I have one gear. Go. 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 I'll tell you when we're getting in too deep. Too deep. Too deep. 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 Sam Leach. How are you, buddy? I'm very well, thanks, Jack. How are you? Um, I'm pretty, pretty good. It's um, yeah, as I was just saying, uh, so lovely to meet you. I've been a fan of your uh, amazing, beautiful work since the uni days, really. So well over 10, 10 years. Um, and yeah, so such a pleasure, such a pleasure to talk to one of Australia's leading contemporary painters. Oh, well, thank you. It's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's very nice to hear it described that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, how how's uh, how's lockdown been for you? Have you been um, surviving or thriving? Uh yeah. Like um, I was doing pretty well until until the last uh, week or two, actually, and then it yeah. sort of seemed to be a bit harder. I was actually uh, talking with a friend overseas. Um, and he just asked me how I went, how I was going, and I was typing this message, and then all of a sudden, all this stuff came out. Yeah. <laughs> in this message, and I just thought, "Whoa, where did the light come from?" Yeah. Yep. Because I thought, yeah, I thought I was doing fine, and then I read back over the message, and I thought, "Ooh, okay, maybe, uh, maybe a couple of issues uh, coming up here." Yep. Mostly, it's been all right. Um, my the daughters have gone back to school now, so that's a that's a bit of a recalibration. In fact, this is the first day that both of them haven't been in a house. So I don't know. I'm kind of waiting to see how I readjust to uh, non-homeschooling routines. Yeah, okay. So have you? Have, does that mean uh, they're, they're doing everything via Zoom? You're not in charge of the kind of delivering the lessons, are you? Uh, look, no. no. Um, 
for primary school, it was a bit more hands-on like that. Like they were just giving really like a um, like a guideline of lessons for the day and then the kids were, were sort of left to do it by themselves and obviously, you know, primary school kids, so that means the parents really do it. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, take them, take them through it. Um, but actually, yeah, I did find with the high school stuff, uh, I needed to be kind of on hand to uh, help my daughter to, uh, I don't know, stay, stay focused, I yeah. guess, and uh, yeah. through the, get through the lesson stuff. So really, yeah, it's been pretty, uh, pretty full on, um, like all day, every day homeschooling for, for the whole period. Uh, when when did the homeschooling start? So that that would have been like at least three months. Well, I mean, it started in like March. Yeah, and then you know there was a few weeks off in the middle, and then and then back into it until today. Was that crucial timing for you coming up to your your exhibition? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was really it was really a challenge. Yeah. So I uh, I was getting up at um, between three thirty and four a.m. to. Uh, hit the studio and I'd do like uh, wow. yeah, so three or three or four hours work there, and then and then do the homeschooling, um, and then you know pretty much just uh, that was it. That was it for the day. You know, do the do the one hour exercise walk and um, and that was that was about all I could manage. And that like that got me uh, through the show. So I managed to I managed to produce the show working that way. And in some ways, it wasn't a bad way to work. You know, like mm. that that kind of concentrated period in the studio and that time of day is obviously super quiet. There's no, there's no kind of external distractions at all. Yeah. So from that point of view, it, that worked pretty well. Um, the downside was obviously it took a toll, you know, it's, um, that's, a, that's, that was not a natural way for me to live my life. Uh, mm. I think it's, not, it's not how I previously worked. I, I admire the dedication. Uh, getting up at 3.34 is, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know whether I've ever done that. I've often stayed up that way, but um, <laughs> particularly to art for like painting. Yeah, but... <laughs> I know. Like, like I've always been um, a nighttime worker. That that has been my natural tendency. And yeah, I would. I was more often uh, finishing around the three a.m. time. That would that would be my more normal um, pattern. But uh, that just wasn't feasible with this um, um, this period. And and the other thing was having so many people in the house all the time. So, you know, my partner's working from home and with the girls at home as well. Um, like I just, you know, put my studio's at home. So I found it hard to really get the, um, you know, the quiet time that I need in the studio at any other time of day. So that's, that was really the only time that I could, that I could really hit it. Yeah. Is your studio at home or? It is. Yeah. I just, I just built it at Great. home. Hey, um, nice one. Yeah. And I, and I yeah, thank you. And I, I only just finished it um, in March, actually. So, so just as the lockdown started, I was moving into the into the new space. So that was really lucky timing. That's great, great timing, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We didn't we didn't know if it was going to be able to get built. I had to get a couple of guys in to do you know the construction part, and it was just when just when everything was um, was kind of falling apart. Yeah, <laughs> and we didn't know whether whether we were going to be able to get supplies or whether they were going to keep coming onto the site and all that all that sort of stuff. It was it was very touch and go. Oh man, imagine having half your house is like a half built kind of construction site, or your studio is a construction site during this whole. <laughs> would have been a nightmare. <laughs> very stressful. It would have been. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but but as it is, it's been it's been great, and it's been so uh, so useful to have uh, like a dedicated separate space at home that I that I can use while all this is going on that's really been uh yeah that's really been uh, extremely valuable 
Yeah, wonderful. Well, I'm glad it all did come together because, um, yeah, as I was saying, I've been a huge fan of your work um, for, I mean, a number of different reasons, like all the kind of things that you've, watching your art develop over the many years, but also just uh, your technical precision. As a painter myself, it's I always really appreciate a, a good contemporary artist who's not afraid to really, you know, hone their um, their skills. Uh, in, ah, in, in thanks. Painting. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I love I mean, that. I see a lot. Of, I see a lot of parallels actually between your work and and mine. There's similar similar ideas being explored. I think. Oh, right. So there's there's some there's some synergy there. I I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's 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 wonderful to hear. Um, but th- yeah. So this recent body of work that you made, fully automatic, uh, I have to say, mm-hmm. really blew me away. I think it's um, it's. Yeah, I, it's amazing that the the concepts in there. So yeah, just kind of briefly, it's you've been working with a kind of AI um, program that will generate images, and then you've turned those into uh, uh, beautiful, uh, well executed paintings. Um, I've just been, I think, during lockdown, I've been going down a real sci-fi AI rabbit hole. I just find the whole. Um, genre or 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 just ideas incredibly interesting to see it's the first time i've ever really paid it uh, quite a lot of attention and um seeing seeing it really now start to come into the contemporary art world is uh i think a very very exciting uh thing i'd, I'd love it if you could tell us a bit about this body of work how it came about what the process of the coming into the ai or, or what what maybe start with what even was the ai that you were working with um, well, I'll give you I'll give you the long version. Yeah, please. <laughs> so, the, so it really it it began with a project I did with a um, a neuroscientist called Professor Mandyam Srinivasan, and he was he was working on how bees and birds navigate visually through the world, and he he uses that to then design biomimetic robots. Wow. So. So we did a um, we did a work in Adelaide at the at the Mod Museum, which was uh, scaling up the experiments that he does on bees specifically to a human scale and getting humans to run through the same experimental setup that he uses. It's like a like a corridor with with kind of moving stripes um, and other other sort of visually disorienting things that that just change the way that you perceive space. Um, and along with that, we were showing a video of some of the um, it's sort of like drone footage, but it's actually the computer vision or a representation of the vision that the drone is using to navigate um, when it's when it's imitating how the bees navigate. And it take when you see it, it doesn't really look like um, it's not it's not doesn't look like a landscape or a vision that we can easily understand. So it's a totally different way of viewing the world and, and processing the information. But if you sit with it for long enough, you can gradually, you know, unpack what's going on, overlaying certain bits of information onto the onto the landscape and and constructing it. But you know, it, it uses a, a special type of lens, so the landscape's flipping upside down and getting distorted in strange ways. And I just got interested in this alternate vision of a world that's being produced by uh, a computer. So, um, in a sense, computer vision. It's not when when the term computer vision gets used, that's not exactly what they mean but it was a type of, of computer vision. And so that idea of aesthetics mediated through technology was something that I really got interested in and, 
and started researching. And that that brought me on to this type of machine learning that's being used in uh, to create visual imagery now. Specifically, I was looking at uh, what's called a generative adversarial network. So um, when I when I sort of found out about these things, um, it it really piqued my interest because. The structure of these is that you have you have two parts of the algorithm, a generator and a discriminator. The generator is basically trying to produce images that look like real life, and the discriminator is determining whether these whether these produced images are real or not. So it's like it's like the algorithm is producing little little forgeries and trying to pass them off as real. And the other part is like the art critic that's that's yeah, judging right. whether they they are whether they are real or not. And it's so it was kind of analogous to how I actually, um, you know, go about producing my work in the first place. You know, I'm looking at a lot of archival images and images from art history and trying to uh, sort of synthesize them and, and represent them in a way that kind of comes across as, as convincingly a representation of the world. And here is this this type of machine learning that's doing a similar process. So I thought this is like this is great. This is like I can um, now automate this cognitive labor of producing the artwork so this this tiresome process of trying to you know figure out what it is that i that i want to paint and what the concept should be i can just feed into into the algorithm and have it tell me what my next painting should be and i can just turn up in the studio look at the computer screen and go all right cool i'll just uh, i'll just paint that thing yeah hence, and, hence and, the title you know, kind of yeah hence the title yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and it kind of it kind of worked uh, so it did actually produce these these images that um, that served as I found really useful bases for the painting, and it freed me up in a way to concentrate on the painting on the canvas much more than the um, you know the like the selection and combination of of images. So it um, it was it was a really uh, enjoyable surprise from that from that point of view that it worked that way. Wow. How did, how did you connect with this? Um, what, did you say he was a, what, what was he, a, a computer software engineer or? Um, so the, so the first, like the first guy, the neuroscientist. Yeah, who's, sorry, the neuroscientist. Yeah. yeah. He, um, I got commissioned to do a portrait of him for the National Portrait Gallery. Great. So he won, he won the Prime Minister's Science Medal a few, a few years ago. And um, so they were on a process to, to find someone to paint him. And I had sort of, um, you know, been doing this, this art and science uh, research for a little while. So it was a, it was a good match. Um, and I went up to his uh, lab in, in Queensland. And uh, uh, he's just, you know, he was just a lovely guy and, and you know, really, really interesting work. And he's a, a member of the... Uh, the Royal Society in in London, you know, which is like the establishment that's the origin of of modern experimental science, and you know, I was I was very into that that aspect of scientific history um, at that time. I was sort of I was just kind of doing my PhD on that kind of that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so you know, I kind of uh, ruthlessly exploited that contact for yeah. all that it was worth <laughs> once it had been, once it had been made for me. Uh, and you know he's like he's a busy guy doing doing his own work. He's he's, he's actually retired now um, as of last year. Uh, but he yeah he's a busy guy. But I just um, I just hung around him really. Yeah, yeah. picked his brain, getting, getting what I could out. Of it. Yeah, yeah. But the lab was amazing. You know, it was as soon as I as I walked in there, um, you know, I could just see that because they were testing 
this visual, like the visual perception of the the non-human animals, um, it looked just like art exhibitions designed to test visual perception of humans. You know, it's, it was kind of right. geometric abstraction, uh, stripes, color fields, uh, you know, a, a kind of immersive, um, immersive sculptural objects. So it just looked like a large, um, well, large to the bees, but okay, actually, it looked like a tiny um, op art installation or a tiny, um, you know, minimalist sculpture setup. So like seeing, you know, a, a mini Robert Morris, but designed for the bees. Yeah. Wow. So it was really, it was really cool. And um, as soon as I, as soon as I had the opportunity to, to kind of do a show, I was like, well, you know, I know exactly what I want to do, which is just take that thing that already looks like an exhibition and scale it up into an exhibition. So it's, mm-hmm. Wow, how exciting! So it, I, I've, I find anytime art and science, when, whenever there's a kind of collaboration there, um, oh, more often than not, it's the results are really, really exciting. Um, I, yeah, I think uh, one one thing also about your work, which I feel uh, for quite a, quite a while now, I've I've tried to work out ways because my my process of making and, and manipulating um, images for references that will later become work is very uh digital i i I like playing around on photoshop and just manipulating and stretching you know pushing the image to its um limits with you know like increasing saturation and contrast and Mm -hmm. trying to glitch it out but yeah often i find it is very difficult for for myself difficult to figure out a way to incorporate new ideas like the the digital but um so when i saw your work i found it uh really wonderful like really exciting because there's something like there's something amazing about when when there is some kind of completely non-human generated image um you even see that when you see those um like elephants they give them them paint brushes and they i think they sell for for heaps of money and the works aren't particularly good or or aesthetic but it's the fact that it's made by an elephant it's made by something non-human that's there's been a a process of decision making to some extent in laying that out and and i think we can all kind of agree that robots are looking like it's the future so (laughs) this um and and the way the way that you've interpreted these, which um, I've I've read that you're very inspired by like the 17th century Dutch uh, Dutch painters. So th- there's this yeah, beautiful yeah. past versus versus future in in your work. They're, they they look like they could be in museums. Yeah, if, if we were like maybe a hundred or two hundred years in the future, we could look back at these as traditional art almost. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, um, I mean, the 17th century, it, it interested me, um, you know, well, I guess I had a, almost a visceral response, right, to these, to those, the paintings of that era. And um, like when I was young, I was on a, a trip around Europe going to, going to all the museums. And I wasn't particularly aware of, um, you know, like Dutch 17th century paintings, um, you know, I guess I thought it was like 21 or something. have to say, I just, I'm not like, overly either. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, I mean, they were fashionable um, uh, sort of earlier in the 20th century and in the 19th mm-hmm. century, but they kind of dropped out, you know, and then the Italian Renaissance became the historical period. Um, but when I, when I saw these paintings, I kind of, um, they were alive to me in a, in a way that I hadn't experienced with historical art before. So... 
not not just from the point of view of you know like a, a kind of you know curiosity which I which I feel with some paintings where I think oh it's you know it's interesting to learn when this was painted and what the particular allegorical symbols are and you know I could admire aspects of the composition but these paintings it was a different thing you know they were alive and and talking to me in like in the present tense and mm. and I felt like I could I could understand it and um, kind of the more I looked at it and the more I read about it, I felt I felt like that's not a coincidence that that I'm getting that because that's the period where um, I guess aspects of contemporary culture, especially um, how uh, contemporary corporate capitalist culture has evolved, that's where it that's where it kind of begins, and it's reflected in the aesthetics of the painting. So it's it's kind of logical to me that the aesthetics and the look of those particular paintings. Um, speak directly to someone living now that's at kind of the end of the process that was that was begun there and I mean just to be clear I have a lot of problems with capitalism especially corporate capitalism not a fan yep um that's and that, you know and that was kind of that was kind of my interest um in it was was critiquing it and and trying to understand why like why have we decided to structure our society this way and this is where this is really where it begins so for me unpacking unpacking the meanings behind that and the and the aesthetics of it became really interesting and i feel like there's this concept um the long 17th century right so the so it's the 17th century that began obviously in, in about 1600 but in a sense uh it's never actually finished you know the 17th century is still is still unfolding i mean i say that it's it's possibly coming to a grinding halt it felt like it probably came to a halt <laughs> you know about i'd say about eight years ago now that's probably the end of the 17th century Right. And, uh, and and we're moving on to something something slightly different, but there's but like that's a that's kind of a continuous period of of cultural evolution, I think, and that's why the works from that period, you know, through to the current, are um, I think you know all accessible on an equal plane. So I don't I don't feel like it's those those paintings, although they were painted, you know, four hundred years ago. Um, they're still a living artwork that you can that you can connect with um, and do things with, and in a way, I feel like the the um, art that's produced before that it feels to me like there's a there's a divide and that's somehow more inaccessible to me. That feels like a different language, whereas from then on, it's it's my language. Right. So you have to forgive me. I'm I'm not overly well versed in 17th century Dutch painting. So what what exactly was it about? Um, yeah, that that era that uh, that you think carries on till today because I was kind of looking at your your Archibald winning piece um, and I uh, was reading about uh, the the original um, artwork that you were looking at by Adam Paynacker. Uh, yeah. it was it was kind of an imagined landscape so kind of an idealized um, utopic version and and I've seen a lot of uh, was looking at some of your other references, like these still live, uh, still life kind yeah. of subjects, and a lot of them were like flowers and, and and hunt, like you know, hung up animals and things like hunting and things. So, is that this kind of celebrate? Is it more like a boastful celebration or or an ownership, a human ownership over the subject? Matter? Yeah, like ownership is very much a part of it. Hmm. Um, I'd say uh, like the first works I did looking at it. Uh, looking at looking at that period, I was I was interested in the architecture paintings, and this is by artists like uh, Sandra Dams, who who painted. You might have seen them like cathedral interiors from from that mm -hmm. period, mm -hmm. and they're quite like they're quite pared back. So you're just seeing 
like you know stone columns and the stone floor in this in this large cathedral space like maybe a couple of small figures but it's a it's a it's like an interior cathedral space that's totally different from the from the catholic churches you know with the with you know the the, the heavily decorated and like a lot of paintings and a lot of uh, gilded ornate features these dutch churches from that from that era were like stark and and minimal right. Um, and this was in a society that was really wealthier than the Italian society at the time. So that stark minimalism was a, a choice. But the funny thing is you see that echoed in corporate foyers. Um, you do, yeah. Or you see, yeah. Yeah. And you know, so, so what, the, what they're doing is, you know, they create that space and it's just, you know, stone walls and you won't see, for example, like a lot of, wealthy decoration even though obviously you know corporations now are, are worth more than many nations and hmm. they could put whatever they wanted in there no problem but they don't it's 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 this very pared back look and it's it's saying something about the image that they want to project so they're saying that they've got this they've got this money but they're, they're prudent with it you know they're not they're not flashy or showy or, or greedy and so there's a weird little weird little contradiction there about wanting to demonstrate that they've got the wealth but also be somehow um uh uh you know modest about it mm. uh it's like a you know like a false a false modesty really yeah interesting um, yeah and and so something similar goes on with the with the still life paintings where the world of it is a world of objects that uh, that you can possess that you can own um and uh Roland Barthes actually had a really nice way of of describing it where he says it's like um, these objects need to be um, lubricated, he said, for the for the gaze. So they can't they can't sort of stick in your psyche as a as a type. It has to be a discrete object that you can you can readily grasp and uh, and slide your slide your sight over. So you have to be able to move simply through this through this world of objects. And that's a fundamental that's a fundamental aspect of ownership and a, and of Western culture really that. Uh, Things in the world uh, are, you know, presented distinctly and separately from the world that that holds them, so that you can grasp them, move them around, trade them, own them, consume them, without necessarily, you know, disturbing all the all the other things that, that surround it in the world. So it's a denial of that, you know, that interconnection of things. Um, and partly, partly we're, you know, we're in a kind of uh, paralysis at the moment because the more we think about how interconnected everything is. The more difficult it feels to to make any kind of move, um, and you know, if you think about uh, if you think about ecology, you know, it's it's always this bind that any any action you take has negative consequences for the environment. You can't you can't help that. That's that's just where we are. Yeah, um, and so it becomes it becomes really difficult. So that was um, a philosophical position that was established in the seventeenth century to deal with that, that thing. So you say, well, these objects. Can be taken out of their environment they're presented it now in this shiny black um space separate from the other things around them you can see them uh you can you can hold them you can remove them from that environment trade so so that's um yeah that's why i was interested in those in those uh particularly still life paintings um and the landscapes uh that's i mean it's a sort of a different thing again that's so these these fantasy landscapes um that present this uh, uh, kind of uh, yeah a utopia really a uh, 
the uh, the Italianate landscapes where they um, fabricated things, uh, they fabricated views from sketches and studies that often other artists had done, and then and then brought back to the Netherlands, and they just they just you know piece them together in the studio. Um, in a process that's uh, not not unlike uh, probably what you and I do with piecing mm. them together in these things together in Photoshop, right? They're not landscapes that exist in the world. You just you just put them together. A lot uh, of your process uh, uses uses Photoshop to kind of figure out compositions. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. All yeah, the yeah. time. That's yeah. That's that's really the that really has been the workflow. Um, so it starts with. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say. So I was just curious. Just um, yeah. Uh, whether are you are you uh, often very reliant on reference Im imaging? Um, I I find myself, I am, uh, and there's often um because your works I guess are so often surrealistic or you know that particularly the new bodies of work these are objects that do not exist. Uh, I I know that you're using these um. Uh, AI generated images, but uh, from the ones that I saw, they're pretty, they're pretty limited. They're pretty pixelated and, and basic. A lot of that is your, uh, yeah, your own making, making up the, the three-dimensional form and making sure objects mm -hmm. have surfaces and weights and, you know, uh, they're not just purely, uh, you know, surreal, I, I guess, or, or abstract. Um, yeah, so is is reference imaging quite important in the production of your work? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, um, and I mean, it's just I'm not I'm not skilled enough really to, uh, you know, just make up a a convincing representation of something on the fly. Yeah, you know, neither. I really need to, <laughs> I really need to have something that I'm working on to yeah. to know you know how does how does the light fall on an object and where do the shadows go? I can't just that's can't exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. Light is my main thing. It's just you can't sometimes you just can't make up those unpredictable light sources. I guess. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah <exactly. laughs> so, so even with the um, the like the machine learning generated compositions. Uh, I, I'll go back and find um, images that, that kind of map back onto it. So I'll look at a, at, a, at a series of pixels and say, okay, that kind of looks to me a little bit like a bird head. And then I'll go and find uh, a bunch of bird heads until I find one that kind of fits, fits roughly where that's going to go. And I'll use that as, you know, use that as the reference. So, so in a way, there's, um, you know, it's kind of a digital collage process mm. that, that occurs. Um, Composition is is sort of predetermined by um, by the AI. So that would have just like doubled your workload instead of uh, simplified your workload, really. <laughs> for, uh, for planning kind, images, kind of, kind yeah. of. I mean, the only the only thing is um, that having like having a composition to start with is is actually really helpful. So mm. um, it's like a it's like I have this thing that I can already see is. It's a blurry image of a painting that I think looks quite interesting, and I think, okay, you know, that that would be good. And then it's a matter then of, of like of figuring out, um, like what are what are those blurry things? So just you know, just refining the detail. But like the painting's already already set out. So okay, I know something you know, kind of red and spikies up here. Just find something red and spiky, and that goes there. And then there's something white and blobby over here. So find a white blobby thing that, that sits down there. Um, and that's actually for me. Um, been uh, a little bit easier than than the, my old process, which was really more intuitively finding finding images and and combining them. And it was it was much more kind of kind of hit and miss. And so 
that the previous process was kind of allowing the composition to emerge from the selection of the images. Uh, and this, this kind of kind of flips it, which makes it a little bit, um, I find it a little bit faster that way. However, uh, now I spend a whole lot of time doing database management. So right, that's, right. Uh, that's a, that's yeah. a, new, a new workflow for me. Yeah. There must be something um, kind of freeing as well because even – Often if I'm, if I'm just drawing or something and I'm just yeah, letting my imagination uh, go wild, often uh, as artists we're extremely self-critical and might just, might just instantly think, oh, that looks so stupid. Like why would I even draw that? Uh, but they must be completely alleviated of that responsibility because it's a, uh, a computer-generated um, thing to begin with. So, so I imagine you could get away with playing around with many different objects or uh, subjects that you'd really may maybe wouldn't have allowed yourself to to work with in the past yeah that's exactly right it's um and it's um like it feels much lighter in that in that respect mm. um because yeah but like if i'm if in a way if i'm selecting all of the um all of the images and the composition for them it feels like i'm responsible for all of the contextual meaning that comes with comes with using those those images and your subconscious um, coming out and you know yeah yeah those things. And, <laughs> and I, I like that and I find I find it interesting um, even though there's some there's some problems with that um, which maybe maybe we can circle back to but um, but yeah you, you're right like you you hit the nail on the head like using using the AI does kind of allow me to um, I guess it's a sleight of hand but just to say oh well all those decisions were made by a computer not by me so. Mm. Uh, yeah, you know, whatever the painting is, is is what it is. The the meaning has been has been predetermined for me. I just I just paint the picture. I'm just coloring it in. Yeah, yeah. So what what are you? Um, how does the AI generate these images? I, I'm I'm guessing that you're feeding certain themes or of imagery yeah. to begin with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I select a um, like a data a set of images the that it um, that it looks at, and then it's it basically is. Um, synthesizing new images that, you know, basically resemble the, the general pattern of those, um, you know, those selected input images. And it's, um, I guess it's like uh, the latent spaces between the images that, I, that I'm providing it. So um, if you can imagine the, um, if, there's, if there's 50 images, you can, you can sort of spread them out on a, on a surface um, and then and then draw lines into connecting them, and then I'm just I'm just interested in the images that sit somewhere in between the lines that that connect the the real images. So that's that's what I'm trying to find. Right, right. And so it's bringing out um, like little little aesthetic connections that that I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought of, um, uh, or maybe I would have, but I, I didn't. So, uh, you know, like thinking that a, a cloud looks like a sofa. Uh, and kind of placing it, placing it that way, or that you know, a helmet resembles the the uh, the wing of a bird, um, mm -hmm. and, and you know, they, and so these kind of these kind of juxtapositions, which are you know quite surrealist um, juxtapositions, except instead of uh, you know, as with surrealism, it's, you know, it's your unconscious. It's this algorithm that's doing it. So it's like the mathematical unconscious, uh, if you like, which which is kind of nice to me. Yeah, yeah, that definitely. Um, even just aesthetically looking at your works, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm, I've got the bias because I kind of know what the works are about. But it definitely does, although it does kind of 
possibly very much fit in that surrealist kind of genre. It definitely feels like it's it's a step away or it's a step forward or maybe just in an entirely different direction because of the AI um, in yeah. input. It, I, 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 my first my first response wasn't these are surreal. This isn't a surrealist body of work. It's a it's a I don't know conceptual. Uh, step in in, toward the future it it seems very futuristic i guess that's what i'm getting at futurism was was much more um uh at the forefront of my reading of the works rather than the the surrealists so yeah i guess that's because i'm always putting pictures of robots into my into my data set so yeah uh, Yeah, okay i try and make sure i've got the future built in there somehow yeah well so yeah what what are the what what kind of what are you feeding uh, to it? Is it is it mainly just a scrapbook of all your different interests? Are you feeding it artists? Yeah, it or? is. But it mm. is exactly like that. So it it started with um, training on my actually on my own paintings to, mm-hmm. to try and get it to say, you know, it's like what what does a computer think that my painting looks like, and then um, and then reinterpreting that. Um, so that was that was sort of the first set, and I and I still do feed a lot of my paintings paintings into it, um, but also adding in the the kind of images that I've that I've used to generate my paintings in the past. So uh, historical historical landscape paintings, um, uh, image archives from NASA. Um, I've used used a lot of uh, kind of nature nature and wildlife photography and uh, images from natural history museums. Um, all of these, all of these sorts of things can go in there. Um, utopian architecture, furniture design. So it's like it's like starting with this thing, which is um, my own paintings, and then just and just adding these these extra elements into it. And it's a bit of a process with the algorithm. It's like um, I sort of see it starting to do something, and I and I will sort of um, adjust the database the database a little bit to coax it to go in to go in certain directions when I when I see things emerging. So. There's like a lot of um, uh, manipulation going on with uh, with the processing. Yeah. Wow. Um, when when you're displaying these works, are you uh, displaying them next to the source imagery of the AI generated images, or just just purely by by themselves? Just purely, just purely by themselves mm-hmm. at, the yeah. moment, at the moment. I mean, uh, I think it's it's interesting to think about um, ways of you know maybe. You know, maybe showing those digitally generated works, um, but primarily, I'm interested in how this technology can be used as as a tool to make paintings. Hmm. You know, and and to me, it's it would be a little bit like with my previous work. Okay, I've made kind of digital collages in in Photoshop and, and work from them, but I don't feel any need to show a print of the digital collage. You hmm. know, or yeah, or say, oh, uh, you know, this is how many layers I use to to make this image. It's totally. like yep. that, you know, that's a, that's a tool, and uh, and this is this is what I'm making with it. So that's so that's kind of what I'm interested. In. I'm interested in is is the painting itself, um, and the tool is an is an interesting thing to explore to uh, to generate the paintings. Yeah, but it's true that um, uh, there is potential to um, you know make works really in a new in a new medium using this using this new tool. So it's. Um, it's something that I've been exploring, but I haven't really got anything that I want to really exhibit. Uh, yeah, yet yeah. From that, I, I found out the the hard way when I did an artist residency in Berlin. I kind of um, we all, it was at the beginning. We had to show our works, and I, I showed uh, 
the class uh, a bunch of my pretty colorful landscapes and um but i was kind of showing them what i was working with and i showed them all the source materials of these manipulated um highly saturated psychedelic color schemes and the everyone was way more excited about my source imagery than my paintings (laughs) (laughs) which i was like really bitter about um so yeah I, i make a real effort to hide my my source imagery uh, from, from ever since <laughs> plus you don't want people yeah. to compare too too closely to what you're working with I, I find a lot of often people will particularly with, like with representational painting I found often people will instantly go and see whether it's a successful piece of work whether you've mimicked it or imitated it as accurately as possible when much of the painting process you kind of it's a guide you know it, it's it, it's you're not always trying to make it look exactly like that because that, oh, that's totally. what it, yeah. yeah yeah no you're, you're yeah that's right um and it's like with uh with photorealism that you know that's that's a certain trap because yeah. the you have, if you try and replicate what's what's on a photograph like those those artifacts um straight into a painting like it looks, it looks weird. It just looks wrong. You've got to, you've got to make some changes when you when you turn it into a painting to get it to to get it to look right. Yeah. Um, yep. Even even uh, your actual hardcore photorealist realist painters, uh, you know, you do that. They change certain things. Um, but it's um, yeah. You you somehow when you're painting, you've got to let the the brain of the viewer. Fill in, fill in these gaps, um, and you're right. If you show them, if you show them source material next to it, they go straight to the source material, and then, and then they'll only see kind of the difference, like a spot the difference thing. Yeah, not, yeah, exactly. Yeah, whereas it's so much, it's so much more powerful if you just have the painting, and then you're letting you're letting the viewer's brain do that processing and the unpacking of the of the information from the painting, and, and you know, interpreting it back as a, as an image. That's that's really, um, you know, the more rewarding um, and interesting art viewing experience. Mm. I'm assuming this this um, AI generated imaging is a new thing just for this body of work. Am I correct? Because your previous works around maybe around between 2016 and 18, I, th- I think off the top of my head, a lot of like it, it's uh, not that different. It is very different. Sorry, but you know that you're working with. Uh, there, there are some kind of images where you were working a lot with like space helmets or suits, but they're actually mm. blending into animals. So the form is kind of fluid, um, which is, you know, in a way I'm, I'm assuming that was before you even came up with this AI concept. So it is quite, in, am I right in assuming that or? Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah, exactly. It, it is interesting to see that um, that's almost where your mind is possibly heading anyway like you're kind of like you're saying at the beginning of the chat you're kind of doing that anyway it was the the process of the the computer is similar to what how you're deciphering yeah Mm. i I mean and i I think that i think that's why it appealed to me like learning about this this type of um image generating algorithm that you know i guess operated on on a principle that's similar to how i personally would would operate um without it so that's yeah, that's what that's why it makes a lot of sense to me to to kind of incorporate it and um, and reflect on it. Yeah, um, yeah, def- yeah, definitely. And I mean, the other part of it, of course, is 
because I'm because I'm turning these things um, back into paintings. Um, you know, when when you're painting, it's it's your handwriting. So um, try you know try as you might, it's it's always going to look like something that that you've done that you mm. wrote. Um, even you know, even if you try and disguise it, it's still there. It's still there, and so it's it's you know it's probably not surprising that what I'm doing with this there's some some relation to to what I've done with the, with the other paintings before uh, as well. Yeah. Well, I honestly think it is just a really exciting body of work and um, I've been really enjoying just kind of seeing them as, as you've been trickling them out. Were you, were you able to go to the show in Sydney or were you limp? Your, no. no. That sucks. No. <laughs> <laughs> but there was yeah, a show, it right? Was, it was, yeah, it yeah. was. It was. It was weird. I mean... I mean, in some ways, it was it was kind of good to to have that that distance from it, and um, you know, just send them up there as a body. Would have been nice to see them on the walls in uh, in the proper space. Yep. Um, but I didn't mind actually. In the end, I didn't mind not going. It felt it felt pretty good. Just you know, send them out. That's it. Pressures off. Pressures off. Yeah. yeah. How do you go with openings these days? I find the more I have, the more um, anxious I get. At the start, I thought it was like one big birthday party almost you know everyone's there to celebrate your work and as i take it all a bit more seriously i'm ugh, i don't know it's, it's a lot it's <laughs> opening yeah a lot. <laughs> it, is, it is a lot and um yeah it's like when obviously when you're doing it professionally you have this you have this show um and that's like you know that's like my income for 18 months right so yeah. so like there's a fair bit writing on it um when it when it happens and uh it's yeah it's pressure yeah. yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's work. It's really, it's hard work. Yeah. Um, yeah, trying to, you know, trying to remember all the important collectors' names, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Being, being nice to the curators and, uh, yeah. And then you've got the, the social time, aspect uh, as well coming at you. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And, of course, um, like I mostly show in Sydney. I, I haven't actually shown that much in Melbourne for a, for a few years. Mm. Um so when I do show in Sydney, that's that's like my only chance to catch up with people that I know there. So um, on top of wanting to uh, you know make sure that I do all the work of talking to the people that I need to talk to, I really want to just catch up with my friends that are there as well. So there's a yeah, yeah there's all those, all those different things going on. Plus, obviously, I'm drinking as much as I can because I'm nervous. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, so you you went to RMIT like me, um, but quite a few years mm. earlier. Um, I was wanting to pick your brain about your kind of your progression with your career, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we all know as artists, it's kind of at the beginning, it's all, it's almost financial suicide, it can be. It's pretty daunting <laughs> and um, you constantly yeah. – or maybe, maybe you got – I had my blinders on for the first few years of it. But um, so you – the, the the first I kind of um, heard about you, I think you won the Metro 5 award. Um, was the kind of art prize process of actually getting that kind of a bit more institutional support and, and with the art prize's financial support, was, was that instrumental in you kind of going, you know, full steam ahead into your art career? Yeah, absolutely. And um, it was... Yeah, it, it really was. It, I mean, the major thing was that, it, especially that first one, the Metro Prize was enough money for me to um, take a year off doing any other work and just and just be in the studio. And at that time, I was working full time in the in the tax office, right? Um, um, 
and doing art, you know, kind of kind of part time where I could where I could fit it in around that. Did I read so, you studied well, economics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. That's right. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, that was, um, and so that marked a pretty big turning point. Doing doing that and um, having the money from from that prize was was really critical. And then, um, like, there was a couple of more prizes that came at really useful points like that. So um, the Geelong Art Gallery Prize uh, was really helpful, and and Coffs Harbour, and kind of these these things. Um, they just happened at times that allowed me to just, you know, take one year and then extend that and then extend that and at the same time, uh, you know, kind of build um, build the career and, you know, start to start to sell some work so it became um, a little bit more self-sustaining. And definitely, um, I don't know, I guess having won a couple of prizes gives people just, I guess, a level of confidence right. in, the, in the work. Like, you know, people who you know, maybe aren't, aren't 100% sure about spending a few thousand dollars on a, on a small painting, you know, knowing that it's, you can say, well, you know, one of these prizes, it just makes people feel a little bit, a little bit happier about that. Um, in terms of institutional stuff, I don't know. It's like, yes, the, it, it does help because, uh, you know, the curators will get to hear about what you're doing. Um, but curators have their own um, thing going on, of, of course, and um, and their own decisions about about what what works they want to follow and include for, for their programs. So it almost feels feels like, in a way, that there's a a commercial career and a, and a critical career, and the things evolve in in parallel uh, mm. to a certain extent. But um, there's some there's some inter, uh, independency on the two of them. Right. So this this might be I don't know if this is an inappropriate question or not, but um. On the on the train of thought of the art prizes, we can can kind of get into the explosive year of two thousand ten, where you won the Archibald yeah. and the Win Prize in one year. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you're tired of talking about this, but <laughs> but um, I'm wondering whether so the Archibald is just kind of whether you like it or not, it is this kind of big. Uh, it, it's kind of the gate. You know, it, it, it's the gate. If you if you can get into the Archibald, you're 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 established. You know, you're you're pat on the back. Where you're a, you're a proper artist. Maybe 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 that's just how I yeah, see it. Um, it's true. It's like it's like that passes the taxi driver test. You know, what what's the taxi driver test? Ah, uh, well, it's like um, you know, if you're if you're in the taxi and they say, "What do you do?" and uh, you know, the answer is you're an artist. Um, then, well, I don't know. I've experienced several times a follow-up question, which is about the Archibald. So, mm. oh, yeah, if you go right. to the Archibald, yeah. I get you, I get you, I yep. yeah. Yeah, whereas, uh, I don't know, sometimes it can be, um, you know, saying saying you're an artist, it's like, but, you know, is yeah. that really your job? Sure, yeah. So what do you make for money? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what was, was kind of jumping into, was that a natural progression in your career or was it kind of, um, again, this is where I'm not sure if this is an appropriate question, or was it more of a, was it a somewhat a strategic um, uh, move to kind of enter into that world? Because have you, have you been a part of that kind of um, Art Gallery in New South Wales art prize thing since, since 2010 or have you, you just kind of put it to bed? Um, I, I haven't been, uh, been, you know, involved with it since then. Oh. Um, the, uh, yeah, and yeah, it's like, um, it, I mean, it was strategic. The, the Archibald 
specifically that that painting was uh, that year it was very strategic how i, how I went about it the tim mentioned piece yeah because i had entered that was my fourth year um entering it and um that was really the the time when i decided to to go all in and and just just put a hundred effort into into producing a like an archibald an archibald portrait and you know i studied a whole bunch of portraiture in, leading up to it and thought about what the right kind of person would be and uh, thought about the scale and all of all of those things um to try and to try and to try and do it mm. um, and you know make it make it a good painting of course but it's a great painting yeah, I'm a big, big fan of that piece. Really, it's great. Um, but yeah, it was like uh, that was a that was a, a strategic element. the The win prize was um, not strategic. That was that was part of my, you know, my practice and what I was what, what I was, mm -hmm. you know, I guess the the long term interest that I that I had. Um, it was kind of weird because that that painting. Um, in a way, I like I just chucked it in the I just chucked it in the package that I sent up there. You know, right. it, was, it was almost thought, oh, I got a landscape here. Pop that in as well. Why not? I'm already paying for the postage. I, I have to say, yeah. I love the I love the debate that followed that work, and, and and that piece was actually ended up being somewhat controversial. Whereas it, uh, which yeah. in I I can see why in a way, but um, I think. I mean, was was that was that on purpose for it to be somewhat controversial, or was it literally just kind of part of what you were already making? Yeah, well, it was because, uh, yeah, I mean, it was like um, making paintings based on these uh, Italianate landscapes and you know manipulating and reinterpreting them was was part of what I was what I was doing. And with that with that particular one, um, I mean, the reinterpretation was relatively subtle it was i mean i removed all of the all of the humans from it and uh i inserted like a grid a grid of stars yeah you know so yeah so it was just like this idea of this constructed landscape and and extending it into you know beyond like beyond landscape like the biggest landscape that you could have was, was all going to be constructed um but yeah like the the fundamental painting was really close to the was really close to the original um, in terms of how it was, how it was all laid out so yeah, when you put it in a newspaper next to next to each other, of course, you know that that was uh, that was readily apparent. Um, but it wasn't like it wasn't like I deliberately set out to to uh, have that as the as the discussion. So, um, and I found it actually uh, pretty upsetting and difficult difficult to deal with, um, as you know, it was like on the front page of the paper and yeah. Yeah, um, you know the the Herald Sun had a poll saying, uh, really? you know, is he <laughs> is he genius? <laughs> I know, the, the genius or copycat? And you're thinking like, <laughs> are they the only two things you could be? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, I yeah, it was, yeah, it was hard. It was hard to deal with it, and and that that actually was part of the reason that I um, I stepped back from from being involved with it so mm. it was like it was a little bit painful to um to revisit it in a way so i kind of uh, i kind of kept some distance after that yeah i um yeah don't worry I, I got one bad review on this podcast and i had a hissy fit for a week so uh <laughs> <laughs> i can t i can totally uh um imagine it is it is hard when you when you're uh especially kind of maybe jumping into a I mean, I think you probably already were in that in that 
category. But jumping into kind of what a, a high a high category uh, attracting very very credible crit, crit, uh, you know criticism or, or um you know the kind of the art bigwigs uh, are going through your work with a fine comb. And I know personally, I've always got a bit of a imposter syndrome um, with with my work. I think it's just, just got to come to accept that. Um, but yeah, you know, having having my work analysed and, and, and some cases praised and other cases saying, oh, this is nothing more of a copy. That, that would, I don't know, that would, that would play on my brain a lot. Yeah, look, that, it was, it was, <laughs> yeah. And, and as you say, like, so, it, it, there was a change in the in the writing about my work because, you know, as an emerging artist, really um, you don't typically get a lot of um, a lot of attention for your work apart from when someone you know likes it enough to be interested and spend the time to to write something. So, you know, the coverage the coverage is generally quite positive um, for emerging artists in the in the first few years. Not always, but but generally generally speaking, the challenge is the challenge is getting anyone to pay attention. The article kind of meant that, um, yeah, people were, and and also you know, especially with the with what happened with the with the win prize and the amount of coverage that got, but it meant that the critical attention changed, and so work that I was doing became, um, I guess, a like a subject for review, um, because it was, you know, especially especially like immediately afterwards, it was noteworthy that that I was doing something not because necessarily people were particularly interested in the work, but because you know I was having a show and it was in the context of the discussion that had that had previously occurred, and that meant that uh, yeah some of the reviews were not favourable anymore, and it was it wasn't nice to read that, um, and I would, like some of them were really good reviewers, and when I read what they're saying, I think mm, they're actually making some really good points. About things you know, like things that are going in my, on in my practice that are that I need to think about and and address and and resolve. So that was definitely um, a bit of a process uh, from from that point of view. I do think though that uh, um, you know that j- the discussion that that generated, I think, is kind of in in a large way, it's what um, you know art that makes a difference is kind of all about really generating that kind of conversation and getting your average person to have an opinion and then maybe second guess their opinion which i i found uh you know when 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 that piece came out how it happened a lot so you know someone might instantly go oh the, yeah that that that's a copycat and you're like well hold and and it always seemed to re, um result in in a discussion and yeah that yeah, sure. Those critic criticism might hurt at that moment, but I don't know. I I think there's something very valuable in in just that alone, and makes people actually reassess what art is, what it's doing, what its role is. And also, I just find it um, so uh, great that you know almost almost a conservative looking landscape can be so controversial. I think that's almost a, <laughs> a funny thing in itself, which I I quite enjoy particularly being a landscape painter so well done yeah I, I, thank you thank yeah. you yeah it's um yeah i it's true and i mean it's a, it's a tiny work as well it's like 25 centimeters by 25 centimeters so it's it's not like it's not by any means like a, a big imposing thing and as you say it's like uh it's not it's not um an aesthetically challenging work um and it's not even really particularly a conceptually challenging work it's it's something it's something that I'm interested in, but it's not like I'm chucking out an idea that I think is 
um, you know, really difficult for people to, to you know, mm. accept or swallow. It's, um, it's just an idea I think is, is interesting. Um, but it does, uh, yeah, you're right. The discussion um, occurring, like playing out in the mainstream media um, about, about contemporary visual art, discussing, discussing contemporary art, um, getting people to engage with it and, and think about it. Uh, it was kind of nice, you know. It's, it, it does underscore the fact that art is not is not just a piece of entertainment. You know, yeah. it's not it's it's not merely something that you go and uh, and look at on a you know on a, on a rainy afternoon. It is actually uh, a central part of culture. And um, like it or not, you know, people even people who think that they don't have an interest in it. Turns out they care very yeah, much indeed. Exactly, about, about they have strong feelings about it. That's what I love about it. That's what I loved about that that debate. You know, yeah, I'd be ch- chatting to my parents or, or whoever, whoever it is. That's um, well, you know, very strong opinions. Very strong opinions. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think that's uh, to have a work that actually results in that. I think is is um, you know, an artwork in itself. <laughs> it's it's very uh, successful. You know, I, I think it's a very successful um, thing that an art can, gen- can can do that. So, yeah. Um, two two years prior, so you, you had another controversial kind of entry to the Archibald, which is a self-portrait yes. um, where you were in a Nazi uniform. Um, yeah. I, I actually quite enjoyed that piece because, and stop me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I've spoken about this on a podcast um, previous, but I once heard this thing on, it was actually this guy, Jordan Peterson talking on a Joe Rogan podcast. And he was basically outlining Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, if you, who would you be during the war? Would you be, uh, you know, we all love to think of ourselves as the hero and of, of high moral, um, you know, stature or whatever. And, you know, if I was in the war, I'd be part of the freedom fighters or this or that. But it's probably more likely, just statistically speaking, that you would have either been, you know, a Nazi or you could have been even if you were if you were Jewish in the World War Two. You know, a lot of the Nazis played on people's, weak, uh, you know, kind of the pressure cooker was so, so harsh that, you know, they, they would make, um, you know, prisoners play against other prisoners. And create little hierarchies, so it was just a complete horrible um, pulling apart of the human spirit. It's horrible, but that's—is that what that that work was about? Kind of, we are. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it's I, in all I, of us. Okay, the, the the first thing I want to say about that work is that I think it was a misjudgment to put that into the into the Archibald. Like, I don't okay. think that was, I don't think that was the right context for it, and. Um, like I would, I would accept that the criticism from from the Jewish community who who it affects the most, you, you know, you've got to listen to it, and they they felt that that wasn't the right place to to make that comment, and I think well, you know, they would be the ones who would be right in in saying that. So right. I, you know, I would accept that that was a misjudgment to do it, um, to put it into the Archibald. Um, it got selected, my though, so yeah, yeah, it's not not yeah, just your my, judgment. <laughs> No, no. Um, so my intention in doing it is, is as you say, it was, um, um, it was that uh, it, it always felt like Nazis were some other, you know, when I was, when I was growing up and, and, and looking at history, it's like, you know, nothing to do with, nothing to do with, with my culture. But, you know, once I kind of um, 
understood a little bit of history, I realized, well, no, that is 100% my culture. That is exactly my, like, you know, it's Western European culture. That's where it comes from. That's who it is. And that's, that's like who, that's like who I am. And so it was kind of a difficult process to say, well, like what aspects of my culture are there that would allow someone like me to, you know, become like a Nazi? I can't, I can't understand how I would end up in that position. So it's like trying to, trying to put myself um, yeah. into it. And um, the context of that time was John Howard was the prime minister then. And it was right around when I made that painting it was right around the time of the Tampa stuff. And um, like, it was just, it was just that shift in politics where, uh, you know, it was like, he was consciously making racism cool. Like, like saying, uh, you know, like racism was, was becoming a selling point for, for the political party. And I just, that was really, like, it was really troubling. It was really yeah. troubling. Um, and, yeah, you know, I can't draw an equivalence between John Howard and, and Hitler. Of course, that's, you know, that's absurd. But that was, um, I guess, in the background of, of why I was, I was, you know, kind of considering, um, considering those, you know, those, those aspects. Were you scared putting that out there? Were you ne- like, were you um, nervous leading up to that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was. <laughs> I was. When, uh, <laughs> when, they, when they said that it had been selected, I kind of thought, oh. Oh, okay. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Because, they, because when, they, when they shortlist, like, they, they call you to, to get the, um, the blurb that they want to put with the, with the painting, like the little artist, this kind of short artist statement. And um, I, hadn't, I didn't have anything pre-prepared because I didn't, like I didn't have any expectations about being shortlisted, but when they called me, I sort of said, "Can you just give me a day to to think about what I want to actually put on that thing?" Because I just want to make sure that That's what fair. I'm saying is is right. Yep. Um, but even more scary, really, was the um, the morning when it when when it was made kind of public, um, the listing. That was that was particularly scary. And I remember there was a like a. The, I got a call at like uh, 5.30 in the morning from a radio station. <laughs> and and um, they, like, they were really nice when, you know, like, they call me and say, oh, I just want to talk about you being shortlisted for the, for the art board. Like, congratulations. You know, it's a really interesting work. Go just come on the radio and talk about it a little bit. And then I was like, okay, cool. And then I said, okay, we'll just, we'll just go to air in like two minutes. So stand by. And then I was listening in and they had a, like, they had a, a rabbi on right before me who was just laying into the work um, in very strong terms. And then they came to me and said, so, Sam, how do you feel about that? Right. And I was like, oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fuck. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a bit of a, a bit of a period. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, it's another interesting one, though, because, it, it said something about how visual art is is um, understood and, and the context that it's um, that it's placed in society. Because, um, like, I'm not I'm not the only artist to make a work along those lines. Um, I'm not the only painter, but I'm, I'm particularly not the only person to to make an artwork with that with that concept. So there've been many novels, mm. um, songs, movies that have explored the same kinds of of theme. Yeah. Um, um, but somehow, you know, with a painting that like that struck a particular um, chord in the way that in the way that it was received, um, and I don't know whether there's something about the um, you know the visual literacy that that goes into into looking at a painting that um, 
okay, it's a picture of someone as a Nazi and therefore he's saying he is a Nazi or do you know what, do you know what I mean? It's like there wasn't um, with, oh, in to- relation totally, to that, yeah. a very, like a very, um, a very nuanced um, discussion of it. I mean, and the nuances emerged over time and the discussion, the discussion did get deeper and, and layers started to get unpacked in relation to that painting. But the initial response was very, like really shallow in, in relation to it. And there was a, an article saying, um, you know, it's the images of, of Nazis um, are not are not just for use in pop culture. Yep. And I was thinking, okay, well, but, you know, this is a painting in an art gallery. Like, it's culture, right? It's not, mm. this is not pop culture. This is just culture. Right, right. Yeah, it, it is interesting how you, how you say that uh, in, in relation to other creative mediums. I mean, some of my favourite movies, um, take American History X, for example. It's about skinheads and it's really not painting a good picture of them. And there's a powerful message, you know, and that's kind of what a good piece of art or any kind of create creation um does you know it it, it it we explore the darkness uh, most a lot of my favorite shows and, and films really do explore darker themes um but yeah i wonder why art you know or particularly maybe traditional art like a painting it gets kind of instantly lumped into this um answer for answer for what you've you've said rather than explored um may, may, maybe it's because paintings are particularly portraits are often there's that kind of historical stickiness of we paint important people or, or something you know like like you know used to be yeah like i think i think maybe hmm. yeah yeah that's I'm, I'm sure that is i'm sure that is a part of it um yeah it's it's just it's an interesting one and I, and like uh we think about andre serrano for example with the with the piss christ work hmm. um you know and and the kind of response that, that that had when you actually look at the at the image itself i mean you know it's a it's a kind of a fairly benign aesthetic um, image, um, and then it has this has this provocative title. But the response to it was like strange. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And then, and then remember the uh, um, when they were going to have the the tour of the YBA artists. I, I don't know if you remember. It was like in the was it in the late nineties or or two thousands, and uh, they had a Chris Ophelia painting which was um, the Virgin and, and resting on two balls of, of elephant dung. And they cancelled right. that entire <laughs> exhibition tour on the basis of anticipating a negative reaction to, to that, one, that one work. Really? Wow, I didn't know that. It, yeah. It, it's so, it is funny how the, you know, art in many cases may, um, used to be about pushing boundaries and and uh, you know it was a bit more punk or something it's a bit more you know putting um yeah social issues re- really at the forefront but there has i had a conversation uh months and months ago on this podcast with paul yor whose whose work was oh yeah, yeah know, he's someone who definitely pushes the conversation yeah. absolutely but also the response you know his his work was cut out he was arrest uh, i think he was arrested was he or was yeah did, did the police actually uh like the police- physically Removed the work. They did. They cut the work up, and then it happened again in Wales at another exhibition where they, uh, I think he, he used derogatory words about gay people. But I think as a 
as a person who is who is gay, I think that you have every right to. And and someone complained about it being homophobic, and it's just like completely missing, completely missing the point of it. And um and the institution went along with it. It's um yeah. they took the work down. It's it's it, yeah. It, it it is a funny. It's a I guess I guess that's the territory you go into if you're gonna play with controversial ideas. It's you, you've got to risk that happening. Yeah. But it, it, it is funny sometimes how how safe. Maybe it's an Australian thing. I don't know. You know, <laughs> maybe we're a very stra- uh, safe. Oh, it's not. Or... I mean, it's not just an Australian thing because it does. It does happen elsewhere. Mm. And um, I mean, Dinah Schutz is a is a recent example with her, uh, you know, with her painting of the um, the African American uh, boy who had been had been killed, um, and she did a she did a painting based on based on a picture in the newspaper. And you know, there was that whole um, like a huge amount of protests at the at the Whitney and and problems with with showing that that one work. So. Um, you know, without kind of going into whether that was um, a legitimate argument or, or not, it does at least demonstrate that there is um, an, an interesting level of sensitivity around around visual artworks in in museums um, and how they're and how they're understood. Yeah, and again, contrast that with movies or TV series or anything. It's um, yeah, it is. It's quite a quite a contrast, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, and I mean, I don't know. I like. I feel like I did these, like I did these paintings, and and somehow, you know, in in the studio, I'm I'm really interested in in kind of entering into that into that debate and trying to think about how I can respond, you know, visually making making the painting. When it's out of the studio, and in the museums, and and then you know in the like in the press being discussed, um, like I find that hard and and scary, and like I don't know if I really have uh, enough strength of character to kind of you know, endure, endure the, um, the aftermath of, of kind of making those statements. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be like a very, uh, courageous person to really, you know, make the same statement and then just stand through the shitstorm afterwards. Hmm. Like some people thrive off it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not me. Like I made the the shitstorm. I don't know. I hated it and I didn't want to go through it. And, and, uh, like I'd rather not go through it again. So, um, it's probably uh, changed my um, decisions about what what kind of work I would do. I think in a, in a public space uh, from now, yeah. Not because I don't agree with the things that that I was trying to say with 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 works like that, but because, um, yeah, I just don't think I have the fortitude really to. I mean, I wish I did. I really wish mm-hmm. I did have the you know, had the strength to to go through those things, but uh, I find it hard. Yeah, I, I I could imagine. I think I'd I'd sit um pretty much in the same <laughs> same position as you. Um, I'd love to just kind of um also just quickly touch on not fair. I mean, your contribution to the art world with your amazing art, um, but is fantastic. But also creating a whole platform to you know celebrate other other artists. Um, I think is is great. So so you and Tony Tony Lloyd um started not fair. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yep. So what's Not Fair all about? Well, um, it kind of began um, as a, a sort of a satellite art fair to the to the Melbourne Art Fair. Um, Tony and I had both been to Freeze Art Fair and uh, kind of enjoyed that, but also enjoyed the, you know, the satellite fairs that, that occurred around it. And there wasn't anything similar to that in, in Melbourne at the time. Um, but the, what there was was um, a whole lot of people in the city 
um, from all over the country interested in contemporary art and uh, wanting to and wanting to see it. So we really just seized on that to say, you know, outside the art fair, there are these other artists who either are, um, you know, not represented by galleries or uh, represented by galleries that are not at the at the art fair. Um, and also, we were interested in, you know, the many artists who, for one reason or another, um, have produced fantastic work over a number of years, but haven't some haven't quite, you know, broken through or or received the recognition that they deserve. So that was that was the idea: is just to find a way to present those works um, in a show and get the people who would be um, in town for the for the Melbourne Art Fair to come and look at this stuff this stuff as well. Uh, and that's how it worked for the first couple of years. But then we we kind of um, uh, we left the Melbourne Art Fair and, uh, and sort of went off on a more uh, a more independent direction. Great. Well, that that must be a massive undertaking, kind of creating your own, uh, yeah, kind of alternative. Well, to it is. Fair. It isn't. It isn't. I mean, the the benefit was that we did it with with kind of zero budget and zero funding. So uh, it was just a matter of of finding a space and and people to help us. Um, and then and then hanging the works up. Mm. So in a in a sense, um, it was it was a bunch of work, but not um, uh, like not an unfeasible amount. Yeah. And and the shows the shows aren't that huge. I mean, in a sense of you're talking um, maybe maybe hundreds of works, but not thousands. And right. so when you, when you kind of break that down, like a team of three people can get that can get that up you know in a few days um uh however it has become more work yeah <laughs> it, has become, it has become more work over over the years and you know partially that is us us getting a little bit more ambitious about how we want to present it yeah um, uh and also that uh you know we love it now and we love it and uh it's kind of it's kind of a thing that we want to we want to nurture and uh, and help to grow yeah. Um, so, what's happening with it now with with COVID? I, I, it's it's postponed till next year, correct? Yeah, we're we've got a um, uh, a February date. Great. Um, the venue the venue we've organised is um, available through the first half of, of next year. So we've got we've got some flexibility there, and, and there's a couple of sort of fallback alternatives. Um, but really, the question is, what kind of event can we safely present um and how that's and how that's how is that going to look um and those are questions that you know no one yeah. really knows the answer yeah. to yet but so hard to plan anything yeah <laughs> i'm <exactly>. over it <laughs> um but we'll definitely we'll definitely do something yeah um, we'll work it we'll work it out and there will for sure be uh be a not fair um in the first half of next year Great. Well, I've been loving the um, the artist interviews that you and Tony have been doing on YouTube. Uh, encourage anyone to kind of jump on YouTube and check out that. I just watched um, one with you talking to Alicia King, I believe. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That that was great. I've, I love. Uh, we love her work. I've actually got. Hold on. Actually, got a little one of hers right here. So. Um, wow! Look at that. <laughs> she's she's amazing. I love her. Her work, really great stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, an, an incredible artist. Um, yeah, such such a, a, a distinctive practice too. Mm. It, yeah, it's 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 instantly recognizable. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But um, but thank you so much for your time, Sam. I really, it's been wonderful shooting the shit with you, man. It's been great, um, great to meet you and and actually kind of hear about about 
the the new body work and everything it's um really inspiring stuff i really really love oh, your thank work you. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, it's great you know it's, it's great actually to have an opportunity to to you know go into depth and, and talk about it for a little while um with someone it's really i really appreciate the chance to do that wonderful so um yeah what um how do people find you what's your your website or your instagram or anything uh so website is samleach.net and the Instagram is samleach underscore zero zero. So L-E-A-C-H underscore zero zero. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. And I hope, um, yeah, I, it's a bit disappointing that we didn't get the uh, restrictions relief this this weekend. But um, I think there's zero cases today. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Holding out. We're, yeah, we're waiting with bated breath. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Take care.